Good evening, brothers and sisters. I'm Eric Butterbaugh, one of the elders, and we're continuing tonight with our series in Romans chapter 8 as we look through verses 28 through 39. <clears throat> and tonight we're going to be looking at Romans 8, 29, which says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. By way of introduction, though, before we jump into the text, consider with me a moment the reality that we all plan. We're all planners. Whether it's planning for a major vacation, buying a new car or a house, or whether it's planning a big event like a, a wedding that can take months with many, many details, we want everything to come off just as planned. I remember planning a family trip a few years ago that Kate and I and our five kids took to Kenya. We were so excited. We spent about seven months planning everything that we would do and see and the people that we would visit there, former members of Delray Baptist Church. And by God's grace, everything that we planned pretty much came off as we had envisioned it. But life doesn't always go according to plan. I can think of other disappointments when big plans became a big bust. We can't control the weather. We can't guarantee we won't get sick. There's so many things outside of our control. But when God makes a plan, he doesn't have to have a backup plan, a plan B or some contingency clause. When he plans something, it is absolutely certain it will turn out the way that he envisions, with no surprises to dash his plans, because he is God. And God alone can say, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. And that gives us great comfort tonight, as we'll see that God's purpose, his plan, is to conform his children to the image of Christ. So if you have your Bibles open, let's look at Romans 8.29 again. It's also found on page 944 of the Pew Bible, if you want to look there. Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So here's our big idea tonight as we look at this verse. God has eternally known and loved his children, and he guarantees to make them like Jesus. God has eternally known and loved his children, and he guarantees to make them like Jesus. We'll make three observations as we look at our verse tonight, and then three brief points of application. The first observation is that before creation, God freely set his love on his people. And we see that in the verse there, in the words, for those whom he foreknew. Foreknowledge refers to God's loving choice of a people for himself before they were born. When the Bible says that God knows someone, it refers to his intimate, personal love for that person or a group of people. It's not based on any goodness, on any wisdom, or anybody's likable personality, works, or the choice that they would make. It's based solely on his grace and love that he bestows on whom he wills. So to say God's people are foreknown is synonymous with saying that they are chosen or elect. For example, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I pointed you a prophet to the nations. And this meaning of foreknowledge is clear when the Apostle Peter says that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for your sake. 
Jesus was known and loved by the Father, existed in eternity past, and was chosen before the foundation of the world to be the redeemer of God's people. Foreknowledge in scripture is not God merely passively looking into the future and seeing who would choose him and then electing them based on their choice as some would hold. Scripture says that God not only knows the future, but he ordains everything that comes to pass. That's what it means to be sovereign. And this foreknowledge is true of people and events, such as the cross. And we see a clear example of this in Acts 2.23, where Peter says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. As we think about God's foreknowledge, it's important to remember that our love for God is the fruit of his having chosen us, not the cause. And we see that in the word for there at the beginning of our verse. It's a connection word that connects us to something that's come before, which links us to verse 28 that our brother Mercury Payton preached on last time about how God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Those who love God in verse 28 are those the same ones whom God foreknew in verse 29. God's foreknowledge, his electing love from eternity past, precedes our loving him. As the apostle John says, we love because he first loved us. We sing a song here at Delray, All I Have is Christ, and listen to how it puts it in this line of the song that captures this truth. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Well, praise God for his eternal love for us in his foreknowledge. And the second observation we see in our verse is that God guarantees that he will make us like Jesus. And we get that from the section that says, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So tied closely to this foreknowledge or electing love is God's predestining or foreordaining that we will be made like Jesus. This is a great comfort. Listen to how Paul says it in Ephesians 1, 4-5. Even as he, God the Father, chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. That was what I said over and over as I dealt with the situation. And God shaped me through that experience. That verse helped me when tempted to respond in the flesh or talk behind his back to remember how Christ responded and to, to be shaped by his spirit to be like him. Another example we see of Jesus when he faced pain and sorrow and agony, how did he respond? In his agony in the garden the night before his crucifixion, he prayed fervently, asking the Father that if there might be another way, that God would allow this cup to pass from him. But nevertheless, the Father's will be done, not his. Well, what about us when we're under stress, enduring painful sorrow, or struggling with a major disappointment? And brothers and sisters, we all do. Do we turn to idols in that time, like food or drink or medication? or entertainment, or indulging the flesh to try to take away the pain, to try to drown the sorrow? Or do we follow Christ's example by the power of his spirit, crying out to him and submitting to him in our pain, acknowledging it, 
and then asking him to help us to endure as Jesus did. Well, we can encourage each other as God is conforming us to the image of Jesus by pointing out evidences of Christ's likeness that we see in each other. So if you're married, we'd encourage you to think about your spouse and ways that God is conforming your spouse to be more like Christ. If you're single, share with a roommate or a friend or a discipleship partner. Think of ways how brothers and sisters, by God's power and by the word, have shown Christ's likeness and how it's encouraged you to speak and act and think like Jesus. Let's encourage one another, as we hear in, in Hebrews, that we should spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, God is a master craftsman and a potter is using trials and tribulations in this workshop of life to conform us to Jesus. It's a lifelong process, brothers and sisters, so be patient and take courage in what we hear in our verse tonight. He predestined to conform us to Christ's image, and he will do it. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And the third observation we see from our verse is that God gives Jesus many brothers and sisters. We get this from the last part of our text. It says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. As God's adopted children in Christ, if we are in Christ, we receive the same love and inheritance that Jesus, our preeminent firstborn older brother, has received from the Father. Listen to Paul's description of our royal condition if we're in Christ from Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. What an inheritance is ours in Christ. We are co-heirs with Jesus and are called to suffer with him. Also note the word many, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. The picture of the redeemed of God in heaven is this great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, worshiping him. What a joy, brothers and sisters. One day, we who are in Christ will be with all of our brothers and sisters from all the ages, worshiping our Father and Jesus. So let's take a moment here and just look at a few thoughts of application. First of all, be encouraged. Meditate on God's eternal, personal, intimate love for you. In this world where civilizations and rulers and cultures and nations and Facebook friends come and go, his electing love and predestining us to be like Jesus flows from his grace from eternity past. And it's amazing, and that should thrill and warm our hearts. As we heard this morning, it's God who seeks out the lost sheep. And we were wandering sheep far from him when he came and carried us on his shoulders and brought us home. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. And he says and promises that no one can snatch us out of his hand. So brothers and sisters, he loves you deeply in Christ. Stop trying to find value in anything else in this world or thinking that you have to perform for God to love you. God's love for you is not based on anything other than that he has chosen to love us and he's done everything for us by sending his son to be our savior. So be encouraged. Secondly, be humble. 
Anyone who's given thought to predestination has wrestled with important questions. But the truth of God's electing grace, predestining a people to become like Jesus, is very comforting. And it does not contradict the free offer of the gospel and man's responsibility for his actions and response. It may seem in our finite minds like these truths are at odds and they can't exist together. But we don't rely on our reason, rather the truth of scripture which teaches both. In a similar way, the Trinity is a mystery that our minds can't fully grasp, but we know it's true. God is one, and he exists in three persons, and we praise him for that. Well, God is infinitely wiser, more loving, and more just than we ever could be. He promises through the preaching of the gospel to all nations that he will sovereignly draw his people to himself. And that should encourage us in evangelism. As we heard across the world, God is calling his people using the gospel that's being shared by our brothers and sisters to draw them to himself. It encourages us that our evangelism is guaranteed to succeed. God will call his people to himself. Listen to what God said to, the Lord said to Paul when he was in Corinth. A paraphrase. It says that in a vision, the Lord spoke to Paul, saying to him, don't be fearful, don't be silent, keep speaking. Nobody will harm you, for I have many people in this city. That's the comfort we take, that as we share the gospel, God is calling his people. So God promises that this gospel work is, will be successful according to his purposes. And let me just pause briefly to speak to anybody here who's, who's not a Christian. If you're here tonight and you know yourself not to be a Christian, I want to encourage you that Jesus says that all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In your condition, in your sin right now, these truths and these blessings are not yours. But God promises that if you repent of your sins, if you believe in Christ, you will be saved. Don't remain in your sins. God's judgment is real. God says that those who die in their sins will face his eternal wrath in hell forever. But God in his mercy has sent Christ. And if you will repent and believe in him, you will know the promise of his eternal love. Repent of your sins, believe in Christ. Listen to the word of God. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do it tonight. Don't wait. Believe in Jesus. Turn from your sins. He will receive you. And we'd be happy to talk to you more if you have questions about that. And excited. As I was thinking about this verse and the verses to come, this is glorious truth. This is glorious truth. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. Salvation is of the Lord. He's done everything for us, and he's going to bring it to pass. Jesus longs for us to be with him and the Father. He's coming for his bride, the church. And a day is coming when his workmanship in our life, it will be over. We will be complete. John tells us, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, God has loved us with an eternal love. His plan is to make us like Jesus, and we can praise God that he will bring his good purposes to pass. Let's pray together.
Our Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you for your eternal love for your people. God, we thank you that before the foundation of the world, that you loved us, and Lord, that you planned everything for our salvation. Lord, you sent Jesus, the one who paid the penalty for our sins, and you promised that all who call on him, who turn from their sins and believe in him, will be saved. Father, we ask that if there are any in our midst tonight, by your grace and by your mercy, that you would draw them to Christ, that they would repent and believe. And Father, we pray that you would encourage us, that we would go forth uh, not trying to, to work for our salvation, but we would go forth joyfully sharing the good news of what you've done for sinners, knowing, God, that you have done it all and that you will bring us safely to heaven and we will be like Jesus. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray you would encourage us with this as we go out now. In Jesus' name, amen.